it is time to go to our, to our message. Yes, to our message. Well, we are still in the book of Ephesians, and we are going to be in the book of Ephesians for a while, maybe go all the way through. That is what I sense the Spirit of God is, is guiding us to do. So, um, till he changes that uh, in his mind or in our mind, then that's what we'll do. So, here we find ourselves in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. We have, the last couple of weeks, weeks have talked in, 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 in about half of the, the first chapter, the second half of the first chapter, leading into the second chapter. And let us sort of review a little bit. I like to review because I would like for our people, the people that hear our messages, for them to have a feel and be reminded-ish uh, as to what we talked about before so that they can put it together and remember it more readily. Also, they'll have a better idea of how a chapter or uh, an epistle flows. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So we will um, look at two weeks ago quickly, then we look at last week quickly as that leads into the second chapter. So two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit, the seal. The Holy Spirit, the seal. That the Holy Spirit is our seal that seals our salvation. He is the seal. No one can mess with that seal, can break it or take it away or whatever. The Holy Spirit is our seal, and He seals our salvation forever and ever. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, the earnest uh, of our inheritance. The earnest, the down payment, the pledge, the token of our inheritance. And we said that the, the, the pledge, the down payment, uh, is directly related to the, the final pay or the payoff. So that if we have a small down payment, we can pretty much think that the payoff is going to be uh, on, on the smaller side. So, but here we have a down payment, uh, the, the earnest, that is the Holy Spirit. So if... If the down payment is the Holy Spirit, if you have a down payment of, let's say, an inheritance that someone left for you, uh, that is $10 million, the inheritance is mind-boggling. Well, the Holy Spirit is exceedingly greater than $10 million. So you can imagine what your inheritance is going to be like. I don't know what exactly it is. I just know that it is humongous and great in every in every way. Then Paul kept on sharing with us that about the church in Ephesus, how he had heard in Rome about a testimony that they had. Their testimony was in, that they were trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and they had love for all the saints. And we talked about that. So we talked about the testimony idea that all the way in Rome, when they were in Ephesus, that means that they had to cross Two bodies of water, if they were going over the water, if they were going over land, they would have to go to the north and then cross over and then uh, all the way to Rome. All the way in Rome, uh, Paul heard about the testimony. Now, that, that, is, that is what I want for my life, that people everywhere hear about a good testimony that I might have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the testimony that he shared, 
that Paul said was that they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we found that uh, uh, to be true, that he has written that in all three uh, prison epistles, that is Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon, pretty much word for word the, the idea of their love and their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the brethren and how he, Paul, was thankful for them in prayer and that on a consistent basis he mentioned them before the Father in prayer. Okay, that was two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about the idea that, uh, that how that the week before led into uh, Paul's prayer, or at least one of the prayers, because he prayed for them all the time, one of the prayers that Paul had prayed for the Ephesian church. And uh, uh, potentially he was praying these type of thoughts uh, uh, on a consistent basis. Potentially he was praying these kind of thoughts uh, every so often. And then other uh, uh, requests or uh, statements before the Lord concerning the Ephesian church. We don't know that for sure, but we know this prayer uh, that he prayed. And he talked about the Ephesian church at, that, that he would pray that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Um, when that they would be a permanent resident within them. So that when wisdom and revelation become a resident gift from God, because of the connection with God, then, you know, it is that, that, that wisdom becomes uh, their possession and revelation becomes their possession. We talked about that last week, so I'm not going to into much, much detail here. And that the eye of, of, of their heart uh, would, would, would come into a permanent state of enlightenment. That the eyes of their heart would come into a permanent state of enlightenment. Uh, that it, and, and, and that enlightenment in three specific areas. Three specific areas. One was uh, that they would know the hope of his calling. That they would know the hope of his calling. Secondly, uh, what are the riches of the glory of, of his inheritance in the saints? That is to say that uh, the Holy Spirit is, is the token of our inheritance, but God speaks about his inheritance and how special and precious the saints are as his inheritance. Ah, God has an inheritance also. And he, he, he loves and thinks that his inheritance that, are, that is the saints is very, very precious and special indeed. And then thirdly, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he goes on to describe that uh, uh, according to the, the, the uh, God raising Jesus from the dead and so on and so forth. So read that if you, if you would. And then see how powerful that is. So he speaks about a power. And then in chapter 2, he, he, he lets us know and lets us in about some of, that, of what that power has done. And so he starts with, and you, um, Paul is addressing the Ephesian church. And you, and, and, and the Ephesian church, and by extension, he is addressing us as well. So he goes, and you, I'm going to read it for you over here, what it says, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Um, if you, so he speaks about the Ephesians, 
and by extension, he speaks to us uh, and you are about us. Um, and you he made alive. You see in your translation, likely the words he made alive are in italics. That means it was not in the original language. Yes? So, but not, 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 not to be worried because it is perfectly in place there uh, when we compare this with other verses that say more or less the same thing. So, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that the Bible translators, when they added this in italics, just for us to know that it is not in the original language, so we need to go do some research as to why. The research shows that in some other verses that had the same meaning, those words were mentioned. I'm giving you the verses so you can check it out for yourself. One was uh, uh, Ephesians 1, 20, uh, which says that which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Uh, that, that power that raised Jesus from the dead now is, a, is, is going to work on our behalf. And, and then it says in uh, verse 5, it, it, it completes the sentence. It says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive with Christ. Made us alive with Christ. So the idea he made us alive is very, is very prominent. And also in Colossians 2.13 we read the same idea that he made us alive together with Christ. Okay? So, not to worry. I just want to explain it so that you can know, one, why it is in italics, and two, that it belongs over there for easier reading and easier understanding. So, he made us alive, we who were dead in our trespasses and sin. Let, let's take a little bit closer look at that, uh, just a little bit. He, 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 made, he made us alive. He caused us to live, so to speak. And uh, there's a, a gentleman, or was a gentleman, he just recently passed away, Rabbi Zacharias, one of my favorite, favorite uh, expositors of the scriptures, as preachers, teachers, uh, apologists, um, just a, a brilliant man. I call him the C.S. Lewis of today, or uh, he was, and just a brilliant man. And, and he says this, um, he says, Religion makes bad men good, but Christianity makes dead men live. Religion makes bad men good, whatever good that might be. But Christianity makes dead men live. So true. Well, um, so in, 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 in a real sense, Paul is... Uh, sort of interrupting his sentence a little bit in that he, he intersected there, he made alive. And you, he made alive who were dead in sins and trespasses and sins. Um, so we, we find that later on in verse 5 that he completes that thought as he interrupts that thought with the idea of that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he goes for a couple of verses. He speaks back to our past. As a matter of fact, the King James Version says, in times past, and the new King James Version says, uh, once, in which you once walked according to the course of the world. And the, the King James Version says, not the new King James Version, but the King James Version says, in times past, in which in times past, we walk according 
to the course of this world. So we were dead in trespasses and sin. What does dead mean? Dead means, uh, in our modern language, uh, dead here means uh, literally that we were spiritually dead. In other words, we were separated from God. Um, this is not physical death because he goes right on in verses 2 and 3 to tell us what we used to do. So we're not physically dead, but we were spiritually dead in that our trespasses and our sins had separated us from God. We were dead, spiritually dead. And so, um, dead. What, what does dead mean? We were stinky. We could do nothing for ourselves or for anyone else as far as that goes. We could not even please God. Yet, God loved us, as we will find out in just a little bit, and as you already know, if you know any scripture at all. So, God works on behalf of dead people to make them alive. If they would just come and believe him for what he had done for us. We'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, uh, in a little bit again. But my question is, what do we do with stinky people? Do we, do, do we love them with the love of God? Or do we avoid them? Or do we... Um, uh, 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 try not to stay out of their way. Uh, the very people, the very people that, that need our help, the very people that God wants us to uh, share the kingdom with so that they too might become part of the kingdom. We avoid them many times, but not God. God is drawn to them because he knows of their need. This is how this stinky person, Ken de Koning, was made alive. God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and paid for our sins so that we could go free. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of man might become the sons of God. So let us too love stinky people, whoever they might be, whoever you call stinky people. It might actually be somebody who, has a shady who is a shady character or somebody who might actually smell a little bit because they haven't bathed in a few weeks. And, but God loves them and God died for them too and wants us to minister his love to these people so they might also come alive in Christ. And how do we make how do we find a way to have dead people come to life? To bring them before God. To share God with them so that they too might come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it happens in many ways. Um, I've gone to the prisons many times to share the gospel with inmates. With a particular ministry that was going very often into, into prisons. And so you, you spend a sort of like a weekend uh, in, in prison, and you have some time with one and some time with another, and, some, and, and many people get saved. Uh, but that is sort of like cold turkey evangelism. You meet somebody, shake hands, say, hi, how are you doing? What's your name? My name is this and this. And then uh, you share a little bit about your life. He shares a little bit about his life. You share the gospel, they believe or not. 
But in, what I have discovered is in many other instances, we have the opportunity to build, to make a relationship with someone, right? So you, let us say you go to a particular store and there is someone helping over there. And the next time you go to that particular store, that same person is helping over there. And you can strike up a conversation and build a sort of like, like a relationship so that they come to trust you a little bit. A uh, 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 waiter or waitress in a restaurant, on and on and on, wherever it may be. And um, if you are a, a, a well-dressed person or, or, or so, and then I want to encourage you in particular to also look for the people that are not so well-dressed so that you portray the message that the love of Christ is not hindering you just because they are not well-dressed or just because they haven't taken a shower in three or four weeks and they smell a little bit. No, those are also the ones that need to be made alive. They have to be made alive and, and, and in relationship, in relationship, then you get to share with them as you build uh, trust in their hearts for what you are having to say and as your life has already shown them and proven to them that there is something different about you. So not, we don't build relations by running from them or avoiding them. Are we avoiding the very people we ought to help and bless? God forbid. So, um, if we don't, whatever stinky state people are in, whatever dead state people are in, okay, if we don't help them, if they don't get help, uh, if they don't get ministered to, they'll remain in that state. And God doesn't have that for them. God wants us to share that they might come to life as he has made us to live. Verse 2 starts with, as, as I mentioned, in times past, the King James says, and the New King James says once. And, and it reads like this, in which, our sins and trespasses, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So let's Unpack that just a little bit. And as I mentioned, uh, Paul, he says, and you he made alive. Then he interrupts his thought and he goes to the trespasses and the sins and tells us how we used to walk in that before he comes back to what he was trying to tell us in that, uh, that but God who is rich in mercy. We'll, we'll get there. So in times past, Paul is talking about our past. He's reminding us about the goodness of God. He is not trying to shame us by reminding us of our past, but to show God's grace in which you once walked. Here you have the same word, you. Uh, all of us, he talks to Ephesians, but by extension to all of us. We all walked in that way, in our sins and our trespasses. But uh, like I have all often explained, um, the, the life of a Christian as well as the life of non-Christians, unbelievers, is difficult because we have three kinds of enemies. 
And Paul is explaining to us here who they are. Uh, three enemies. Uh, and for Christians, if you don't practice discernment, you might very well be swayed or tricked or tripped up by uh, th these enemies. So, um, now, of course, we know that these enemies are no match for God whatsoever, whatsoever, um, because of the power of the resurrection. Uh, but we often give them some leeway and find ourselves um, under their influence, uh, strayed and swayed by them uh, because they have so many messages. And there are three uh, enemies. So uh, let's look at them. These three enemies are one, as, we, as we'll see in the scriptures. I'll just give you the, the, the brief uh, list and then a, a, a longer list and expound on, on the different items on the list. One, the world. Two, Satan. He's described partly as the prince of the power of the air. Three, our own flesh. Our own flesh. So let us look at it. One, the world. Two, Satan. Three, our own flesh. The world. The world. Um, we once walked according to the course of this world. Um, we walked according to the dictates of the world. We, talked, we walked according to the demands of the world. We walked according to the messages of the world. We, talk, we walked according to what the world was trying to teach us, what the world was trying to influence us with, so that we might be swayed in a different direction than God would have us to go. Um, the, 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 the Germans have a particular word for this called Zeitgeist. Zeit is, means time or age. And Zeit uh, uh, means time or age. And Geist means ghost or spirit. So uh, uh, we would say the spirit of the age. Zeitgeist. So it is, uh, it is a, 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 a spirit of the world that we were following. That we were living by. According to, uh, in agreement with the world. So, may I give you a definition by Mr. Trench, a definition, a definition of the world. And I quote, All that floating mass of thought, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize uh, and accurately define, but which constitutes a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere, which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again inevitably to exhale. Um, so you, you could maybe back up a little bit if you want it, if you want me to say it again. Let me repeat it one more time just, just so if you were not ready to write down and you want to write it down, I'll give you the time too. So, Mr. Trench is saying, and I quote, All that floating mass of thought, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, 
aims, aspirations that are at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define. You may not be able to accurately define it, but it's there nevertheless. But which constitute a most real and effective power, the power of the world, being the moral or immoral atmosphere, moral or, or immoral. Just because somebody is moral doesn't mean they are godly. They are just moral people. Okay? They don't steal, but they don't know Christ. So, being the moral or immoral atmosphere, which at every moment in our lives we inhale, again, inevitably, to exhale. Bengal gives us another expression, and he says this, and I, and I quote, The subtle informing spirit of the cosmos, or world of men who are living alienated and apart from God, the, the world, unquote. End of quote. Let me, let me give it to you one more time. Uh, Mr. Bengal expresses it like this, the, the definition of the world. The subtle, remember, that's, that, that's an important word. It's subtle, so often so subtle that we, we don't even realize that it has infiltrated the church many times or infiltrated our family many times. The subtle informing spirit of the cosmos, of the cosmos, the Ion, the world, or eon, as, as some people say. Our, our world of men who are living alienated and apart from God. They have nothing uh, of God to share with you. It is all about the world and the thoughts that come with that. Uh, those people who are alienated and apart from God. So, now... Of course, we know that uh, we, we, we're fighting one of these en uh, uh, enemies all the time. I, I, the world, Satan, our flesh, uh, and, and uh, they are formidable enemies indeed. No match for God, but if we don't exercise this sermon, we can get tripped up. As Paul is trying to encourage the Ephesians over here to stay away from from what they used to do. Um, so the words then here, according to, we once walked according to the course of this world, according to, I, I see as our bend, our yielding, our commitment, our service, our behavior was bending its heart to the wishes of the world and not to God. That is my interpretation of according to, that we're walking according to uh, the world. Our bend, our yielding, our commitment, our service, our behavior was bending its heart. It, 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 it belonged to God, that heart, uh, 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 for us who are now believers. If, you are not, if you're not a believer, as he was speaking of the Ephesians past and our past, before we were believers, it was totally bent. But even as Christians, sometimes... Though our heart belongs to God, sometimes it's bent by the influence of the world. So bent, uh, it's hard to the wishes of the world and not to God. And that happens so often. Remember, I'm a pastor. I, I do a lot of counseling. And we find that to be true in so many instances, in so many ways, that people's heart have somehow, I'm talking about believers in this instance, have somehow bent toward the wishes of the world. 
and uh, certainly as unbelievers, their heart is bent toward the wishes of the world. The second enemy is Satan, the prince of the power of the air. And uh, Paul is speaking uh, uh, that way in, uh, uh, like this. That's the second enemy. So in verse 2, when we read, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, and then it goes on, according to the prince of the power of the air. That, that, that portion of scripture, he says, uh, uh, according, once again the words, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. You, you, you get the drift. Uh, the second weapon, Satan, the second, I'm sorry, the second enemy, Satan, uh, this is who he is. Um, uh, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sense of dis disobedience, among whom, the, 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 the prince of the power of the air, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. That's the second enemy. Once again, according to that is our bend, our yielding, our commitment, our service, our behavior was bending its heart to the wishes of Satan and not to God. So obviously, if we, were, if we are still unbelievers, which is what Paul is speaking of here, of the Ephesians, when they were still unbelievers, this is what they were walking like. And when we were unbelievers, this is how we were walking. But now that we are believers and our heart belongs to God, there is still possibility, as we well know from the Scriptures, not in this particular uh, passage over here, but as we well know from the scriptures, that it is possible that our heart bends toward some of the things that Satan is trying to accomplish in our lives. I mean, check it out. I, I just gave you a prime example. Uh, according to the statistics, um, half of the Christian marriages end in divorce. That, that is not a work of God. That's a work of, a work of Satan. Satan doesn't want marriages to work because God has designed marriages to be a testimony of the love of Christ for his church. And Satan doesn't want any testimony like that. But yet, we have power over Satan. We have power over his wishes. We have power over the world by the resurrection power that God has made available to us. So we don't have to give in. So what I'm trying to say is, sometimes we still walk according to what the enemy is desiring. And our heart, little by little, bends that way, bends that way a little bit more, and before you know it, the frog is cooked. You know what I mean by that? The frog is cooked? Because the way you cook a frog is not to put him in hot water. He'll jump out. So Satan knows that very well. He doesn't slam believers with <laughs> a big deal. He just chips away. And so the way you boil a frog is by putting a frog in room temperature water and just turn up the heat little by little, and before you know it, you have cooked the frog. So that's what Satan does uh, to us in so, in so many ways. So be careful, my dear brothers and sisters. Be careful. I don't want Satan to have victory of one single brother or sister of mine. Not one single one. And I'll fight to the death to save and to bring victory in the lives of my brothers and sisters as God affords me opportunity 
and the power of his Holy Spirit to minister to them. Uh, in times past, we were conducting ourselves, uh, conducting ourselves in total agreement with Satan's wishes. This is before we were believers. We had no power over it. <laughs> it says we were sons of disobedience. That's how we were, we were sons of disobedience. No way of even obeying God. We were disobedient, yes. But when, when it says that we were disobedient, inherent to disobedience is also obedience. Because we were disobedient to one and obedient to another, by definition. <laughs> you see? So we were obedient to Satan, but disobedient to God as sons of disobedience. Um, so now that we have made a commitment to God, we need to be careful to be obedient to God in every possible way. So our first enemy, our first enemy was the world. Our second enemy, Satan. Our third enemy, our flesh. My dear brothers and sisters, don't think that this is a sliding scale that the world is the strongest enemy, and then Satan, then the flesh. They are equally strong because Satan works through the world, and he works through our flesh. And um, when he works through the world and through the flesh, it might even be more subtle than when he tries to directly influence us. It might be too obvious if he directly does, directly does it. So, but, uh, I mean, okay, uh, uh, you, you, you can have your own opinion. Uh, but now, let's talk about the, the third point. Our own flesh is the third enemy. Um, well, before we were believers, we, we, we had no wherewithal, we had no power over our flesh, which is another word, uh, another word for flesh is our sinful nature our lower nature. We had no power over it. It had its sway with us. We couldn't do anything about it. We thought with it, willpower or whatever, but willpower is no power over the flesh. Only the resurrection power is power over the flesh. Uh, I mean, have you ever uh, uh, tried a diet? Willpower? Have you ever tried to lose weight? Willpower? Um, you see, but the, the, the power over the flesh we have in the resurrection power of, of God. And that is, has primarily to do with, with sin. Uh, yes, right? When we sin, our lower nature is disobedient to God. But before we were believers, our sinful nature was dominant over us, was king over us. Not anymore. Now that we are saved and we have the resurrection power available to us, we have now power over the flesh. But before we were saved, our sinful nature had power over us. Are you with me? So now that, so we're talking about two different things. One is unbelievers that have no power over the flesh, and then believers who have the power over the flesh, but sometimes still give in to uh, our evil uh, fleshly desires. So, 
The power of the flesh is our third enemy. Uh, and we, the scripture tells us that we still battle uh, with our flesh, our sinful nature. It, it, it is a battle. But it is, you know, I, I've been an athlete all my, most of my life. Most of my life I've been an athlete and competed. And I, I didn't mind competing. It is a battle when you compete. I didn't mind a fierce battle in competing. It, it made the victory sweet. So I don't mind a battle that we, were, that we are having with our flesh. I just want to win. I just want to win that battle. And so by the power of the resurrection, we have the power to win these battles over the flesh. Um, our evil desires had full and overpowering sway in our lives before we became believers. Total deprivation. Totally deprived of anything good, of anything that is God. That is who we were before we were saved. Now we have the power of the resurrection to live our lives in victory. So let me share with you just real quickly. If you are an unbeliever and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're sick and tired of being defeated. You're sick and tired looking like a, a losing football team. Uh, 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 uh. No joy, no pleasure, no excitement. You, you are defeated. Uh, let, let, let me share the gospel with you. I, I just want you to know that the Father in heaven has given his son Jesus Christ, who was with him from the very beginning in glory, and has, has sent him to earth to become a man like you and I. And offered him up on the cross so that our sins, you remember the sins and the trespasses that we were walking in before? Uh, we, we all walked in at one time. Uh, now now I, I'm saved because I believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me come back. So Jesus then on the cross paid for all, all our sins and all our trespasses. He took care of them and was, had victory over them, and was raised from the dead the third day. The Bible says that if you believe that with all your heart, you shall be saved. And when you're saved, that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead on the third day becomes yours to walk in victory in this life here on earth so that you might have victory over that third enemy, our flesh. If you are interested and or you say, well, you know, I'd like to talk about it more, I'll give you my phone number, 361-779-4210. Give me a call. I'll meet you somewhere, and we'll have conversation. I'd love to have conversation with you and show you the way of the Lord, to have victory in your, in your life, to have victory in your life. So then, um, now we go to... Uh, 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 verse 4. Verse 4 says this. We, 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 we were walking in our sins and our trespasses. We were walking according to the world. We were walking according to Satan's wishes. We were to walking the, 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 the wishes and desires of our own flesh. And then it says, but God. That is what I'm trying to convince you just a little bit ago. That if, you don't, if you're not a believer, but God will make a difference. And so God made a difference for us. What a good news. What a sound. I was dead, but God had mercy. I was imprisoned by sin, 
but now I am free. I was a child of wrath and a son of disobedience, but now I am a child of God, reborn. It goes on to say, God who is rich in mercy. God who is rich in mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is you doing something wrong and deserving uh, some punishment or, or whatever, kicking the pants, whatever it may be, and it is withheld. That is mercy. In a little bit, in a little bit we'll talk about grace. That is a little bit different. That is you deserve a kick in the pants, so to speak. Not only is it withheld, but you're getting... Uh, a bouquet of flowers on top, or you're getting an ice cream cone on top, a blessing on top. So we'll, we'll get to that. Mercy. God who is rich in mercy. The mercy of God is bottomless, endless, limitless. God's mercy in that you deserved a kick in the pants. You deserved a punishment. You might say you deserved hell, but God had mercy on you. And he withheld that from you by making a way through Jesus Christ. Your part is just to believe it with all your heart. And he goes on to say, uh, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Let's just unpack that a little bit, then we go to verse 5, and we'll we'll be done with verse 5. Because of his great love with which he loved us, God's love is so big. And because he has such great love for us, he put his mercy to work to bail us out if we would just believe. God's love is powerful, plentiful, wonderful, needful, faithful, Truthful, useful, merciful, graceful, hopeful. It is infectious, virtuous, contagious, continuous, miraculous, tremendous, fabulous, marvelous, humongous, enormous. It is irresistible, irreplaceable, irrefutable, irrepressible, inalienable, incredible, indispensable, indisputable, incontestable. It is unconditional, immortal, unusual, imperial, perpetual, personal, supernatural, substantial, exceptional. God's love. (laughs) I wish I could describe it. (laughs) It is unfathomable. It is indescribable. This is the love of God toward us. And being rich in mercy, showed us, showed us his great love. And then it goes on to say, we are saved by grace. We are saved by grace. Saved means, saved means that even though we reserved hell, we were saved from going to hell, and he is getting us to heaven if we would just believe. He has done all the work, nothing we can do. We can, pay, we can pay for it, we can work for it, we can sweat for it, we can uh, uh, punish ourselves for it. Uh, uh, nothing we can do. God in Christ 
has done all the work already. All the work. All that we need to do is believe the Father for what He has done through the Son on our behalf. So, remember that Paul interrupted verse 1, and he picks it up now in verse 5. He picks up that same thought, and it says in verse 5 that, uh, let's read 4 again so that we can lead into verse 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. See, here you have the idea, uh, the word even over here uh, describes the idea to me that, listen, we should love with that kind of love even if it comes to stinky people, even if, if it comes to people that we don't care to be with, people that maybe um, we don't know, people that come and they, they come and they smell like they haven't taken a bath in, 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 in some weeks. Uh, 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 whatever the situation might be, uncombed hair, uh, whatever, no, the, the dirty clothes, uh, torn clothes, it doesn't matter. Even those we need to love for Christ. I should actually say, especially those. Especially those. Let's love them for Jesus. So, verse 5 says here, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Remember, He made us alive. Uh, the phrase made alive um, can maybe uh, be, be better um, described as uh, he uh, caused us to live. He caused us to live. Because it is the, the cause was the love of God. He caused us to live. Uh, made us alive. Uh, or you might say, He gave us life. Together with Christ. In the resurrection, we are caused to live together with Christ. Not only are we made alive, but we get to live in union with Christ. We were dead, and even though we were dominated by other forces that were contrary to God and opposed to God, He loves us so much that He made a way for us. That He made a way for us. All we had to do, all we had to do was believe that what He said He had done for us, that we believed it to be true for us personally. So then, now the final the last phrase that we're going to talk about, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. That is to say that God took the initiative to be a blessing to us or to give us a blessing. He did that freely, no strings attached, no price to be paid, and joyfully. He didn't do it reluctantly, joyfully. And he did it to us who deserved the opposite. He did it and he paid the price through his son on the cross. He paid for it. Right? So he gave us a blessing and was a blessing to us freely and joyfully, even though we deserve the opposite, and he paid for it at his expense. For the, for the, uh, for the purpose that we might have 
total exoneration. Not only exoneration from our trespasses and our sins that we were walking in, but also exoneration from the shame and the guilt and the fear that we so often walk in because of how we lived or the some of the mistakes that we still make. That is not of God. God did away with that in Christ. We have, don't have to be ashamed of that any longer. We don't have to be fearful of that any longer. We don't have to be guilty forever. Oh, I'm so guilty. So, well, no. He told, he told you that you are not guilty any longer. The guilt was all on the shoulders of Jesus. You don't have to walk in that guilt and in that shame. Oh, look at me. How are you doing? Well, oh, yes, no. You, you, you're, not, you, you're not worth anything for the kingdom of God that way. That you're going to uh, be a mighty soldier for Jesus Christ. And you're going to share with other people. Just remember... You don't have to be ashamed any longer and you don't have to feel guilty any longer and there shouldn't have to be any fear any longer so that you can walk upright, not in, in, in pride of yourself, but in pride of what Christ did for you. Yes. Total exoneration. No more guilt, no more shame, no more fear. And no more guilt of the sins that you used to do and the trespasses. They are forgiven you. They are forgiven you. And then lastly, that God, through his son Jesus Christ, in the resurrection power, not only has he forgiven us, huh? but he has also given us power to walk into, power to walk with, power on our insides, that we can be overcoming day by day and walk in victory. What a glorious, what a glorious message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a glorious message. May I invite you that if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would do it today. I've already explained to you how you do it. You just tell, tell the Lord, Lord, I, I, I am a sinner. I know that I'm a sinner. I thank you for what you have done for me on the cross through Jesus Christ that my sins could be forgiven. And are forgiven. You have made arrangements for me. And I thank you that he was raised on the third day. Not only to, to guarantee that I will be raised also. And have eternal life. But that because of that power of the resurrection. I too will be able to walk in victory on this. You know, thank you Lord. For this what you have done for me. In Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Kiss.